Right, before you're seated, would you um, just with me for a moment, it's Memorial Day weekend. And, you know, Scripture teaches us there's no greater love than one who lays down his life for his friends. Can, so can we just celebrate those who've given their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have? Can we celebrate that? Right, you guys can be, can be seated. We are kicking off a new series, and I know many of you guys are like, okay, it's safe to come back to Gulfside now. The Me and My Big Mouth series is over, and that was all up in my face, and I'm glad that's done. Uh, we're, we're on to a new series that is called How to Neighbor. And man, I, it's a little different than the last one, but I, I do believe this is, this is going to be challenging. And like you know, the teachings of Scripture, it's not just something to take and know, but it's something to take and apply, something to take and do. And so I'm excited to, to get into this new series with you guys. In 2004, I had just moved to Toledo, Ohio, was filling an apartment with stuff for the first time, and, you know, getting lots of donated furniture and things like that, like a young college graduate would do. And I thought it would be fun to go to a furniture store and just see how much it would cost to buy new stuff. Because I knew I wasn't buying anything unless it, you know, was under $10 and furniture stores don't tend to, tend to sell stuff like that. But I thought it would be fun to go in. And as I go in, I don't know if you've ever had those times where you're in a store and things get really tense really quick. Like something happens. This was one of those times. There, there was a black couple that was shopping for furniture and there was a store clerk standing next to a store clerk and they, one leaned over to the other and said, I hate when black people come in here because they never buy anything. And the couple overheard them and said, what did you say? And there's other shoppers in the store, including me, that heard what was said. And all of our attention was, you know, right on them and we're getting our popcorn buckets and ready to watch what's about to happen here. And the clerk who said it turned to the other one and said, oh, no, I didn't say that. And the other clerk said, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> I'm not helping you out of this. And, and there was other shoppers in the store, and pretty much it was, it was like a bad moment because that, I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, but it was also a beautiful moment because the rest of the people came in the store, and we voiced our displeasure at the situation. And, I mean, there was like a walkout that happened on the store because we all kind of said, this is not what our city is going to be like. Like, that's not okay. That's not true. And I cannot believe you said that. And management, you need to handle this. And it was a difficult situation, but it was made better because there's people around who said, not in my town. Not, not with me around. Not while I have a voice. Because the truth is, each one of us ha has a voice, and we have a responsibility to use that. Each one of us have gifts. Each one of us are able to help someone else. And when we are in those situations, we have a responsibility to help. We have a responsibility to use our voice. And, and discrimination and racism, it has been around since people have been able to speak. I mean, in Scripture, we see these different instances where there's these clashes of the culture that happened, and it's still happening today. It's still happening in every nation. It's still happening in every city, and we're not exempt from that. And today we're going to look at a passage. It's a really familiar passage, but I, I want the, some of the truths to really, you, you have to look at them with, with a clean slate. You have to look at them with a clean heart and say, okay, how does this apply to the way that I'm living right now? Because we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible with you, you can flip open to Gospel of Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at the Good Samaritan story, which is a familiar story. 
And I'm going to begin reading at verse 25, but we'll start projecting at verse 29 as we get more into the text. But I want to have a little context to the situation. And it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And then verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, I understand I have to love my neighbor, but exactly who is my neighbor? Because there's some actions that I'd like to justify. There's some people around me that I'm kind of hoping they don't fall into the qualification of being my neighbor. Because there's some people that it's easier for me to love, and there's some people that are harder for me to love. And whether it's easy for you to admit or not, you are more naturally drawn to people whose life experiences have been like yours. People who are about your age, people who are about the same finances as you. You know, it's kind of weird to hang around someone who has a bunch more money or a bunch less money. It's not just that they need to be the same skin tone, but often it's the same age. We're just drawn into these natural tendencies that we want to be around someone who's like us. And in this time... One of the, the strongest, I mean, there, there was a lot of, I mean, just straight out racism amongst the Jewish people at this time, pointed towards the Greek and their anger at them for occupying them, but also pointed at some of their own people, and specifically Samaritans. As we're going to get into this passage, we're going to learn a little bit more about who a Samaritan was. But he's asking, you know, is this my countrymen? Is this all people? He's asking Jesus, and exactly who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds into verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant or a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Now this road that led from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was known as the Pass of Blood or the Bloody Pass because it had these narrow sections where it was easy to get ambushed. And Jesus had been traveling to Jerusalem at this time. So as he begins telling this story, there's a lot of kind of tie-ins to the experience that the disciples just had because he's not just answering this for the person who was asking him questions. He's teaching to everybody who's around him right now. And you're going to see in a minute that his disciples were learning a lesson in this instant. But as he's describing the traveling down this, this dangerous road that was known, that this person was ambushed and he was beaten, he, his clothes were taken, his money was taken, and he was less, left half dead. And then the first person who walks by is someone who's supposed to be the closest to God. It's supposed to be the priest, the person who knew what he was supposed to do. But as he walks up on him, and it's easy for us to be like, oh, those, you know, Pharisees, priests, those religious rulers, they were just always wrong. There's some rational reasons why they would have just wanted to keep moving and maybe even move faster. Because if you walk through an area where there's evidence that there's, there's people who rob, steal clothes, and leave people beaten half to dead in this proximity, I don't want to be in this proximity anymore. Like, no time to just look around like, I'm going to go. 
And, and there's also the notion of, okay, what if this person, when I get down and start helping him, what if the real reason he's laying there is to trick me and when I'm over there helping him, I'm going to get hit in the back and I'm going to get robbed. And, and those things could have been going through their mind when they came up on the situation. This is scary. This is weird. I'm going to stay far away from it and I'm going to get out of here. I mean, when we put our own skin and our own emotion in this situation, if we think of, we see someone who's a victim of mugging and there's an alley corner right there and I don't really want to be close to it, we often think, I just want to get out of here too. But on top of that, there's other complications as well that may have been in their mind. As a priest, if they start taking care of this person and the person dies, then he's considered unclean according to the book of Numbers in Scripture for seven days. When was the last time you opted to help someone that you didn't know, and it cost you seven days of what you're normally supposed to be doing. Our culture doesn't even make room for an example of that. Like, like seven days, it's going to cost me seven days of work if I stop and help this person potentially. Seven minutes is hard enough to come by to actually stay and help a stranger. I also say, someone who's beaten, bloody, and, and naked, there's, you know, there's no good way to pick that person up. Like, there's nothing good about this situation. It's awkward, it's scary, and they'd want to get out of there. And so, as they see this person who has need, and the scripture was also clear that it was considered a Jewish person, that they walked to the other side and left their own countrymen. The person that they're supposed to have more responsibility. This sense of, this person who's laying there, I probably should because he's a Jewish person, but I'm just going to go. So Jesus, Jesus is answering this question for them and says, okay, the priest saw someone who was lying there, crossed to the other side of the road, and left him. The Levite, or the temple assistant, walked over, looked at him lying there, and also passed on the other side of the road. Martin Luther King was teaching on this passage, and, and he said this quote that I think is, is very helpful. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, the first question the Levite and the priest asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? The Samaritan reversed the question, if I don't stop and help him, what will happen to him? And this, this is an attitude, this is a perspective on the way that we see situations that's really challenging because the thing that's natural to us is that when we see an opportunity that we should probably step into, the first things that we go through is what does this mean to me, 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 me? It's about me, it's about my day, it's about my resources, it's about my time, it's about me. In reality, we should be looking, what does this mean for them? What does this mean if they don't have food? What does this mean if they get put out of their house? What does this mean if they don't have someone come around them in this situation? And so often when we analyze opportunities that we have, the first thing that we begin to evaluate is what does this mean to me rather than what does it mean to someone else? And as Jesus is telling this story, he, he talks about who, who the most respected amongst the Jews, what they did when they walked upon someone who had need, and then he turns the story in verse 33 in a way that would have ruffled feathers because there was cultural animosity. I mean, we understand, you know, the, the conversations around race and how careful you have to be about them in America right now. And I'm going to tell you, the, the anger, the hatred, the passion, it was 720 years old when you talked about the Jews and the Samaritans. It had been going on for a while. And so when Jesus begins to turn the story in this direction in verse 33, he says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, 
the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, this Samaritan, he showed compassion to someone that culturally he was supposed to hate. Because since 721, when the Assyrians defeated the northern kingdom of Israel, and they they moved the people out, and they invaded, and they they brought their own people there, the, the Jews from that part began to intermarry with the Assyrians, which the Jews from the southern kingdom hated. And in fact, the term that they, u- they used to refer to them was half-breeds or dogs or half-dogs. Half and so this concept, they looked at them with cultural anger and disgust. Because not only had they intermarried and, and they, they mixed races, and they were considered mixed race, they mixed religions as well. And so they moved from following God the way that they're supposed to, to intermixing these false beliefs. And so that only increased the Jews' hatred for them. And it's interesting within context because in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem before this situation happens. And as they were approaching a village where they were going to potentially stop for a night, Jesus sent some people ahead and it was a Samaritan village. And as the person went ahead to try to make accommodations for them, the Samaritan said, oh, you're going to Jerusalem? We don't want you here. Because the hatred went both ways between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they said, we don't want you here. And there's this small little section in, the, in chapter 9 that's really interesting. Because the disciples on hearing that they weren't going to let Jesus stay there. They, they weren't going to welcome probably their love and their passion about what Jesus had been doing and who he was. And the way that he was not being welcomed to the city. It kind of welled up. And they asked Jesus, I mean catch this, this is crazy. They said, can we, can we call down fire on their village? I mean, it's in there. They're they're referencing 2 Kings chapter 1 where Elijah had 50 men from an army come and fire fell from heaven as as he called it down. And the disciples literally, because they were angry at the Samaritan village that wouldn't wait, wouldn't let Jesus in, they asked Jesus, can we burn them all to the ground? I mean, this just happened. Like, this was, this was on their way to Jerusalem. This happened in the last chapter. So as Jesus is teaching this, and he's bringing this, this, this story about the Good Samaritan out, he's not just teaching the person who asked the question. The disciples are getting uncomfortable. Because these people, that they just said, can we see fire fall from heaven and just wipe them out? Jesus is elevating a Samaritan status, which was a socially awkward conversation to have. And this hatred, this animosity, it was 700 years in the making since that, that they, were, they were first defeated. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated their Jews, and they had their reasons culturally. They had their religions because of their religious views. They had their reasons because of past occurrences with each other. And, and so they, they learned to hate each other. And that's one thing that we do know is that when it comes to racism, when it comes to discrimination, when it comes to deciding one cultural group is just always wrong and one cultural group is right, that, that, that's not something natural, but that's something that, that is taught, that's something that is learned, that's something that is adopted. Because if you've had kids playing together, you, you'll see two and three-year-olds, they don't care about what color someone else's skin is. And both of these cultures, and I, I want to include this because as Jesus elevates the Samaritan, some of us were raised in cultures where, where the description of another 
culture, another ethnicity, was spoken about in a very negative way. And you say, oh, I, I was raised in that. Both of these cultures were raised in that. But Jesus' response is not to condemn the Samaritans. He, he's actually elevating them through the story. You know, as I watch my daughters grow up and learn and play with people and have no sense of cultural stress when they're playing with other people, there's this one occurrence a couple years back. My daughter, Aaliyah, had reached a goal that we set for her, and so we said, okay, we're going to go to Target. You can buy any doll that you want, and so she picked one out, and she, she picked this one out, if we can put the picture up. And so that's awesome, Aaliyah. You know, she, she doesn't have any concepts of, oh, I should just get a doll that looks like me. I said, why did, we said, why did you pick that one? And she said, because she's beautiful. And there's something that when we hear that, we're like, oh, that, that's exactly how it should be. But the reason that we have a reaction to that is because that's just not how it generally is. And we are taught to begin to see races, ethnicities, as something completely separate from who we are when in reality, what Scripture teaches us is that all of the races were created in the image of God. And in fact, it's not really different races because there's only one race. There's the human race. And the thing that is most true about us is the fact that we were created in our Father's image, that we have eternal worth, and our skin pigmentation should not be something that's separating us into different groups. And the problem of racial discrimination, it's not a solely white problem. There, there, there's problems of discrimination all across the world, and so don't hear me saying that, but I will tell you that since we are the majority in this country, we have a responsibility to speak up in a louder way because we have a stronger voice and we have the ability to speak up just the way that those people in the furniture store did that day. But in your settings, you're gonna find that you're compelled to just move towards the people who live like you, who look like you, and you may never mean it, but what it, what it ends up happening is, well, our, our coworker who is Asian or our coworker who is black or our co- coworker who's Hispanic feels like, well, they don't ever sit with me. And it's not that you didn't mean to, you, it's not that you tried to avoid them, but it's just you're naturally drawn to the people who look like you. And this is something that we as Christians, we as people who are in the majority in this part of the city, we have to look at these situations and say, I have to use my voice and my ability to make a difference in this area. I have to live my life in a way that it's not going to make someone feel like they are discluded or pushed out because racism and discrimination or prejudice, I understand when we say racism, we think of like hatred. And racism, it's not just a hatred. Racism, it's just this tendency, this prejudice to just go towards my own people, which ends up discluding someone else. And when we do make the decision to intentionally do that, I'm going to tell you, you know, one of the first things I want you to know is that racism, it's not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. It's not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Because when we see someone with less, as having less worth because of the color of their skin, it has nothing to do with their skin and our skin, and it has everything to do with what's in our heart and what's in our mind about that person. Scripture is clear that they're created in the image of God. Scripture is clear that we are called to love people of other nations. Scripture is clear that in heaven we will see every nation, every tribe, and every people there. Scripture is clear that we're called to go to the ends of the earth because those people matter to God. And so we have to adopt the view that Scripture has. And so I understand that this is a sensitive area, and I do not profess to be uh, you know, the expert on racism. And there are people in this church, there are people in your life, that if you were to sit down with them and say, hey, you know, as a person of color, 
Do you feel like that has affected you at different times? Do you feel like you have been treated differently at different times? And I believe that you would be surprised by the stories you begin to hear. You might even be surprised that there may have been something that you said that you didn't mean it to come across that way. And so this is not meant to be, this is meant to bring awareness. This is not meant to be disciplinary. This is not meant to make you feel bad. But the fact is a lot of times we're not even aware of the way that we've been living and how it affects someone else. Because some of these natural tendencies to just live life the way that we've been living, we don't realize how it affects someone else. And so there's, there's three things that I want to encourage you to analyze and think about on this, this topic of living alongside other cultures and other ethnicities around us. And, and one, number one is to recognize our prejudices. We, we all have them. And, you know, I, I've lived in cities where, where it was predominantly African-American, and I've lived in cities where there was barely any African-Americans there. And there's prejudices on both of those sides, and they may be accidental. It might seem completely um, well-intended, but these things, these words happen, and situations like this happen. A Hispanic pastor took a new position at a church, and he moved into a neighborhood that was a nice neighborhood, and as he moved into the house, he was outside mowing his lawn, and a neighbor came over and asked him how much he charges to mow lawns. And he did that because, well, it was a Hispanic guy, and I didn't recognize him, and he's out here mowing this lawn. And, and, and it wasn't bad intention, but it was this idea that this is just the type of person who does that. It, he wouldn't possibly live in this house. He wouldn't possibly live in this neighborhood. And it's not that there was really bad intention in there, but it's this idea that this is just how we classify people. And those prejudices, they can, they can lead to these actions that do people harm. And we have to recognize that we can't just classify people by the way that they look and by the, by the jobs that we think they have and the type of people they are. We can't look at the younger generation and just be like, oh, they're just all lazy. We can't look at the older generation and be like, oh, they, they can't possibly know how to do this type of job. These classifications that we make, they're dangerous and, and they're, they're hurtful to other people and, and they're barriers to the gospel moving forward the way that, they sh- the way that it should. Number two, we should seek to understand others. And when I talk about, you know, talking with people about what their experience has been, sometimes it can be humbling because you feel responsible. You feel a sense of, I didn't even know that you felt that way. And seeking to understand, it's not, it's not that you're guilty of something, but it's that you're, you're bringing yourself to a situation where you can better encourage other people. You know, childhood, if you, if you think back to what your childhood was like, it was tough enough to be a middle schooler, wasn't it? I mean, to, to go through life, to go through, through all those things. But then when you add on to that, being criticized because of your ethnicity, I mean, just imagine how many more things were challenging for someone else that didn't walk through your shoes. And I know that your life had its own challenges too. It's not, it's not to mitigate those or make those less, but we need to understand other people's experiences as well. And number three, to, to help in this area, is we need to love those who are different than us. We need to love those who are different than us. You'll get to know some people and the food that they eat, the way that they talk, the way that they dress, the way that they keep their house, the way that their family operates, all might be completely different than yours. And that's okay. And on many of these things, you're not wrong and they're not wrong. You guys just do things differently. But we need to love people who are different than us, whose culture is different than us, and even oftentimes when they don't deserve that love yet. There's a really great picture 
of this back in 1996. And some of you guys might remember the famous picture that happened. It was up in Michigan, and there was a Ku Klux Klan rally that was happening there. And a counter-protest came, and it got very volatile. And in fact, the police separated the two parties. But when they did that, there was one person from the Ku Klux Klan that made it over into the counter-protest area. And when they realized, and they said, there's a Nazi there, and they attacked him, and they started beating him, there was one woman who looked at that situation and, and said, this is not right. And she was on the counter-protest, but she threw herself in between a man that probably hated her, probably spoke poorly about her, probably wanted to do her harm. She put herself in between the punches and the kicks that he was receiving. At cost to her personal health, maybe even at cost to her reputation, said, this isn't right, I have to do something. This person doesn't deserve it, but I have to do something. And this, this picture uh, became famous, and she was interviewed and asked about it. And she said that her faith was part of what drove her into the situation, that, that even with someone who doesn't deserve that kind of love, that kind of protection, that's how she was supposed to live. We have to love those who are different than us, even at times when they don't deserve it. Because, listen, I think, that, I think this next quote will be helpful to many of us as we clarify some of these thoughts. Racism isn't, just the, the, racism isn't just the presence of hatred. It's the absence of love. You know, as we went through the Me and My Big Mouth series, a lot of the thoughts on the series wasn't, you know, about what we're saying that's wrong, but when we're saying those things, it's occupying the space where encouraging words are supposed to be. And many of us say, I don't hate them, I just don't do my life with them. I just stay separate from them. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to love those people. We're called to love the people who are created in the image of God. And racism often holds that thing where it's just, I just stay away from that type of person. Fill in the blank. But if in your heart it's difficult for you to love that type of person, there's something that you need to deal with between you and God. There's something that needs to be healed. There's some things that you learned growing up. There's some experiences that were painful that you walked through that you need to heal because we shouldn't be looking at an entire category of people and saying, well, they're just all that way. That's an absence of love, and quite honestly, that's racism. And racism has no place in the church. Racism has no place because we're, what we're supposed to be known by, Christians are supposed to be known by their Gulfside shirts, Christians are supposed to be known by the bumper stickers on the back of their car, their punny little stickers. Exposure to the sun will prevent burning. That's really helpful to the city to see. No, Christians are supposed to be known by their love. And that love has to transcend any type of cultures or borders that we've set up. These imaginary lines of these countries that we've drawn, that where we feel more of an accountability to care for someone who's inside of our imaginary line, I'm going to tell you, God cares just as much about the child in Ethiopia, Ethiopia as he does the child in Cape Coral. And we as Christians have just as much accountability to make a difference across the world as we have to make a difference in this city. And when we value one life over the other, we have it mixed up in our head and in our heart. 
Each one are created in the, in the image of God. Each one deserves to have our compassion, our prayers, and our help. And we have to find ways to make a difference in both. And that's why scripture calls us into our city, into our region, and into the very ends of the earth. We, we cannot discriminate, we cannot choose one or the other because the picture that we have of what heaven's gonna look like, the apostle John describes it in the book of Revelations. We'll pick up in chapter seven in verse nine and I'll put this on the screen behind me. And it says, after this, I saw a vast crowd. He's having a vision of what heaven's gonna be like. And it says, it's too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches, signs of victory in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Do you notice it's from our God? All these nations, all these tribes, all these tongues, all saying we together serve the same God. And they're all included in this beautiful moment of worship. But this concept of segregating, of separating from everyone else is so predominant in our culture that generally the churches that you see are either black or they're white or they're Hispanic and it's drawn in. And maybe, maybe that's because we, we just are drawn towards the things that are comfortable to us. Maybe it's harder for, for me as a white person to invite someone who is African-American because I'm like, oh, they might want a different thing out of the church. And so I'm afraid to invite them. I don't know all the reasons that have gone into it, but I'm going to tell you, the church should be, be multicultural. The church should be a place where people assemble because if you don't like doing that now with someone of another race, heaven's going to be hard for you because everybody's going to be there. And that's God's design for what the church is supposed to be like. And so as Jesus is teaching the story, he's elevating someone that culturally the Jews did not want him to elevate. It, it bristled the hair on their neck. It made their blood boil a little bit. How can, you, how can you talk about the priest doing something like that and a Levite doing something like that and elevate some sort of scum like a Samaritan in this story? It wasn't by accident. Jesus was teaching. Disciples, you want to see a whole village hit with fire because they wouldn't welcome us in for a night. We, we look highly at the priests and we look highly at them, but if you really want to see the picture of who a neighbor is, in verse 36, Jesus t- finishes telling the story and he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, and then the man replied, the one who showed his, him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You know, fun, fun talk, Paul. It's good to talk about, it, and I will go back to just doing our life. But as you see, Jesus' teachings, the teachings of Scripture, are always meant to be applied. They're meant to be used in the way that we live. And so visiting a concept like this, it could be deceptive if we, if we hear about crossing cultural lines of helping someone else who needs help. It would be deceptive for us to hear messages like this and not apply it to our life is what the book of James says. Not to be hearers of the word only, but we also have to be doers or else we deceive ourselves. And so there's two things that I I want to ask of you as your pastor. And if you've made the decision that I'm your pastor and you've given me the opportunity to know you, love you, and challenge you, there's two things that I want to ask. And the first thing is I want to clarify for us as a church. Do you recognize that there is only one race created by God 
in the image of God and that we should not show favoritism or allow racism. If you agree with me on that, would you say amen? Thank you. And then the second, as we, as we see that, as we see that we should be transcending across these cultural lines that have been drawn to make a difference with other people, I have a really practical, simple ask. Our series is How to Neighbor. And band, if you guys would make your way up, um, I'm closing this thing out. I have a really simple ask. The, the, the men in the story who, who messed up, who missed the opportunity, they, they saw a need, and then they went to the other side of the street. But the fact is, for the most part, the way that we live our lives, we often don't even see the needs, especially that our neighbors have, because our interaction with them as men kind of goes like this. And that, that's how we, we've lived. But I believe that when the church is present in a city, the church should make its presence felt. And so this is my ask, this is my challenge for you as part of this series. This week, would you invite a neighbor over to share a meal with you? Someone that you're not connected to, someone that you haven't really had interaction with. And this isn't so that you can give them a gospel presentation. If that happens, amazing, but I'm not saying that's part of the challenge. I'm, it's, this isn't so you can invite them to Gulfside Church. If that happens, that's awesome too, but that's not part of the challenge. The challenge is to invite them in so that you can get, begin to get to know them. Because you can't encourage them if you don't know their life situation. You can't be of help to them if you're not connected to them. And, and they don't really believe that you care if there's never been an interaction. And your neighbor matters to God. And until we begin to show them that they matter to us too, they're not going to be receptive to what we have to say. And this really gets down to the practical thing. I mean, it's like the crossing of the road. Like I can choose to stay away from you and your mess or I can choose to step into it. And it might cost me some time. It might cost me some money. But it's my calling. So church, this is the simple challenge. Make the invitation. Maybe they'll say no. Maybe they'll say yes. But if you'll invite a neighbor that you don't normally talk with, that you don't really know yet over for a meal, would you just let me know by saying amen? All right, like eight of you. It's great. No. I know. It's scary. It's hard. But I believe we're called to live a little bit differently. Sometimes that means doing things a little bit differently. But what I've seen and experienced, that when I say yes to God and some small thing, I get to see him work in an even greater way than I expected. So it might start out as a small yes, I'm going to have someone over for a meal. We might be surprised by the doors that God opens when his people act in obedience. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you challenge. You challenge our notions of who we're responsible to. You challenge our notions of who our neighbor is. You challenge us out of our comfort zones. And we want to love you with all our heart. We want to love you with all our mind. We want to love you with all our strength. And we know that we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we want to do that too. So give us the courage to step out, to invite someone over, whether they're just someone we don't know yet or if they're from another background. Whatever the issues are, just help us to show them your love through the way that we live through our generosity, through our care. And as the church does its job in the city, 
pray that many hearts would fall in love with you because of it. We thank you for the great opportunity that you've placed in front of us. Give us the courage to seize it. In Jesus' name, amen.